the ability to know what lies ahead. But we do know the one who holds the future. So we're going to be talking about that in just a moment or two. I do want to mention very quickly before I get started, I failed to mention Jared and the youth group are gone. They are on a retreat this weekend. They're supposed to be back this afternoon, I believe. We want to pray for their safety. We're grateful for all the good that Jared and that Jared does, his family, and we appreciate them so greatly. And so please keep them in, in your prayers as they travel today. Now, for our lesson today, let's look at Hosea chapter 4. As we think about the future, I want to begin by saying, first and foremost, that while we do not have the luxury of knowing the future, we do know that God is sovereign. The psalmist said in Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns. God is over all, and because God is over all, He is in control. So really, when it's all said and done, I don't necessarily have to worry about the future because I know God is in control. You remember Daniel. Daniel had the opportunity to serve Nebuchadnezzar in the court of the Babylonians. Daniel made this observation many, many years ago. He said, the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. So God is involved in the affairs of man. God is at work, whether we see it or not. God is in control. In the book of Hosea, Hosea was a contemporary of a fellow by the name of Amos. Amos was a country preacher. They both addressed their prophecies to the northern kingdom, that is, to Israel. And it was a time of economic prosperity. Life was good in many respects. Jeroboam II was on the throne, and Hosea began writing to people that were enjoying a lot of prosperity, economically speaking. The problem, however, there was deterioration spiritually. And so what Hosea addressed, the spiritual decay of the people in that day and time. Now, you know, one of the great things, one of the beauties of Scripture is it is always relevant, isn't it? When we talk about the timelessness of God's eternal Word, this Word will, as Jesus said, stand forever. One of the things that we know is that this is the book that will be opened on the Day of Judgment. Our lives are going to be judged on the basis of divine truth, as Paul said in Romans chapter 2 at verse 2. So to understand the relevance of Scripture, the problems that Hosea dealt with, as well as Amos and others, were real problems. Problems that in many ways mirror modern day. And so with that in mind, I think about Hosea and the charge that he brings against the children of Israel. First and foremost, he talks about a famine that existed among the nation of Israel. Now, Amos in the long ago talked about a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Well, there was a famine in the days of Hosea and that of Amos. The famine was, spiritually speaking, these people had become very decadent in how they were living. And so it's as if Hosea enters into a courtroom and levels a charge against the nation, nation of Israel. Israel would be the plaintiff. And, or rather, God would be the plaintiff. Israel, they would be the ones that would be 
giving, a, giving an assessment of their behavior. So listen, if you would, to what the prophet said in the long ago. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge or an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. And here it is. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. When I read that passage, the thought that always comes to my mind is this. How could that have been the case? I mean, we're talking about people that enjoyed a covenant relationship with God. You remember back in Exodus chapter 19, God said to Moses, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. In that context, God enters into a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. That covenant was predicated on their willingness to obey His commands. He said, if you do that, you will be a special treasure unto me above all peoples because, as he would say, the earth is mine. When Moses rehearsed the words of God to the children of Israel, their response was, all that the Lord has said, that we will do. So they were basically saying that they would live in compliance with the will of God. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that they had an on-again, off-again relationship with God, didn't they? There were times when they would live faithful to Him. There would be times when they would depart from Him. And God would raise up prophets to try to bring them back, bring them to their spiritual senses. So here are people that enjoyed the blessings of a covenant relationship with God. Not only that, into their hands had been entrusted, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, the very oracles of God. So they had God's Word. They had obligated themselves to obey that Word, to live in compliance with it. And yet Hosea said, there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Now you think about how prevalent Scripture is in the world today. I would imagine that there was a day and time, even in this country, when about every household had at least one copy of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in many households, people had multiple copies of Scripture. There was a day and time in the lives of many people, our predecessors, who had a deep and abiding respect for the Word of God. You know, the psalmist in the long ago expressed his sentiments for God's Word. In Psalm 119, he said, My heart stands in awe of your Word. If you go back and you look at the writings of the psalmist in Psalm 119, he exalts the Word of God, and there is an understanding in his mind of the importance and relevance in Scripture to life. The psalmist said in verse 105, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. I think about the founders of our country. Many of those people, while maybe not necessarily understanding New Testament Christianity as we do. They did have a deep and abiding respect for the God of heaven. They understood that the prosperity and perpetuity of this nation would be tied to an allegiance to this book that we call Scripture. So you think about how accessible God's Word has been in the lives of people in this day and time. And I would imagine that 
When you look at the world at large, many, many people have access to Scripture. God is addressing His chosen people. The problem, however, was they had divorced themselves from God's Word. And what we have to understand is whenever individuals, whenever people say that they are beyond living in accordance with God's Word, problems always arise, don't they? I mean, you look at the, at the lives of indiv individual people in our world today. Look at the lives of people in our country. One of the real problems that we have is people think they know better than God. They're too sophisticated. They're too academic for what God has to say in His Word. And so we've outgrown God in many respects. And yet Paul, in characterizing the Gentile world in the long ago, said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Sometimes what we become is nothing more than educated fools. So Hosea is leveling an indictment against the children of Israel on behalf of God. God is entering into a courtroom, and He's saying, in effect, you're guilty. And the reason you're guilty is because there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. They had become bankrupt. You remember over in chapter 8, verse 12, He would say, I have written unto you the great things of my law. But then listen to what He said, but they were counted as a strange thing. There was a day and time in churches of Christ when we were known as Bible-believing, Bible-toting people, weren't we? We accentuated book, chapter, and verse when it comes to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's what we plead for today, isn't it? There was a day and time in the lives of a lot of people. They believed deeply in God's Holy Word. But somewhere along the line, people began to abort that word, abort from that word, and as a result of that, great problems followed. So, look, look again at chapter 4. In chapter 4, he addresses first this famine, but then there are some facts relative to the nation of Israel. He summarizes their behavior. Now, I said a minute ago, whenever we divorce ourselves from God's word, Ultimately, mayhem follows. Anarchy, if you please. That's what we're seeing in the world today. In the world today, people have loosened themselves from the constraints of Scripture. They don't want to be bound to anything. I mentioned a moment ago, Hosea chapter 8. There were people who were conversant in the Word of God, in the church, and even many out of the church knew something about what Scripture had to say. Today, if you were to question people about basic, simple truths about Scripture... How many folks would say, you know, that's a strange thing. Never heard that before. For example, marriage. Did you ever think that you would live in a day and time when we had to define marriage, biblically speaking? That there are people in our world today that no longer believe marriage is between male and female, but two males or two women, two females can be married. So listen, if you will, to the facts as reported by Hosea. Hosea said, by swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, he said they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. He's already indicted them. And now he's bringing to the fore 
the problem associated with walking away from God's Word. Again, it's called anarchy. Now, you know, in our nation, we have laws that are to regulate society. Those laws are either intended to govern us or they're not. Those laws are intended to be enforced or they're not. God's, God's Word, God's law trumps all law, doesn't it? And so you think about the law of God. Here were people that had divorced themselves from the Word of God, and what happened? They faced a lot of problems. Listen again to what the prophet said. There is swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Would you not say that this reads just like the latest issue of the Memphis Commercial Appeal, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlanta Journal? I mean, we're talking about real problems in the days of Hosea. Problems that we see every day. He mentions the fact that they were killing, committing bloodshed. Did you know that we are on track in Memphis, Tennessee, in this area, to have some 300 homicides in 2020? There are already 500 homicides as of September 1 in Chicago. I mean, look at the mayhem and the problems that we face. I did a quick study of some of the things that we face in this country. We are not a theocracy as Israel of old was. God is interested in individual people. We make up nations, but God's interested in people. He's interested in the welfare of people. So you look at our nation and you think about all the problems that we face. And really, first and foremost, the problem that we're facing, not unlike the children of Israel of old, the home. The home is the backbone of society. And yet, when you look at our nation, look at our home, look at our home life, we're in real trouble, aren't we? If the home is the backbone of the nation, our backbone has been broken. Did you know that nearly 40% of births in America are to unwed mothers? Up from 28% in 1990. 39% of marriages end in divorce. 33% of children are reared with, without a biological father in the home. I mentioned same-sex marriage. Supreme Court legislation, June 26, 2015. Today, in all 50 states, our country recognizes same-sex marriage. And yet, didn't Jesus say, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's a biblical definition of marriage, isn't it? It's what God said. Abortion. Over a million abortions a year in this country since 1973. Now do the math. A lot of innocent blood been shed, and yet in Proverbs chapter 6, God said He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. Drug usage. Drug abuse and addiction in America cost more than 700 
$40 billion annually in lost workplace productivity, health care expenses, and crime-related costs. Gambling. Did you know gambling is a $5 billion expense? The estimated annual cost of pathological and problem gamblers in the U.S., $5 billion. 90% of gamblers have gambled away their paychecks, family savings. 30% of pathological gamblers reported gambling debts ranging from $75,000 to $150,000. Pornography. An industry that generates $12 billion in annual revenue. And listen to this, larger than the combined annual revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. Of that, the internet pornography industry generates $2.5 billion in annual revenue. About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. Every second, 28,000 users are watching pornography on the internet. $3 million is being spent on pornography on the internet. 372 people are typing the word adult into a search engine. That's every second. Let me move on very quickly. Moral absolutes. According to a majority of Americans, 57%. Knowing what is right and wrong is a matter of personal experience. This view is much more prevalent among younger generations than among older adults, according to a Barna poll. And then the end of right and wrong. Some years ago, a fellow by the name of Dennis Prager wrote an article entitled, America's Accelerating Decay. Here's what he said. At least two generations of American young people have been taught that moral categories are nothing more than personal or societal preferences. He cites an article that appeared in the New York Times, Why Our Children Don't Think That There Are Moral Absolutes. In that article, he said, without fail, every value claim is labeled, listen to him, an opinion. This extends to assessing the most glaring of evil. Since the Nazis thought killing Jews was right, there's no way to know for sure whether it was wrong. It's the Nazis' opinion against that of the Jews and anyone else who objects. And then Prager states, I've heard this sentiment from American high school students, including many Jewish ones, for 30 years. We have become a nation that cries for tolerance. But interestingly, many of those who cry for tolerance are completely intolerant of any ideology or system that conflicts with their radical agenda. That's where we stand today. I could cite a lot more information for you. But that gives you insight into the decadence that we and other nations around the world face. It's not a pretty picture, is it? The problem that Hosea addressed, you know, Paul said the things that were written aforetime were written for what purpose? For our learning. That we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So when I look at the Word of God, I understand that there is a sense of relevance to the hearts and lives of people. And so Hosea is dealing with a problem. The first problem he dealt with had to do with immorality. The second problem that he had to deal with was idolatry. In chapter 4, verse 17, he would say, Ephraim is joined to her idols, a reference to the northern kingdom. 
And here's what he said, let her alone. Now, you know, you think about in our day and time how pluralistic that we have become in our society. I would imagine that there was a day and time in the lives of many people that for them, now while they may not have understood New Testament Christianity as we, they did believe that salvation was only in Christ Jesus. They would affirm that. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then Luke said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, quoting Peter and John, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So you think about the importance of honoring the God of heaven, understanding that salvation is only in Christ. It's only in the church of Christ, the church that He purchased with His blood. And yet today we live in a day and time when people will say, you know what, it really doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter whether or not you follow Jesus. You don't have to believe in Jesus and God to go to heaven or to enjoy some utopian experience in the afterlife. The children of Israel became idolatrous and they paid a heavy price for it. You go back and you read 2 Kings chapter 17 and you read about God carrying the children of Israel into Assyrian captivity. They never recovered from that. The time was about 722, 721 B.C. The fact of the matter was they had divorced themselves from the Word of God and they paid a heavy, heavy price. What I would say to us is any time we go beyond Scripture and think we no longer need God and His Word, we're going to pay a heavy price. Problems always result from that. So you think about the famine the children of Israel faced in the days gone by. And then the facts. You can't deny the facts. And you look around in our world today, what is it people need? They need the gospel, don't they? You know, when I look around and I see a nation torn apart with all the problems that we face, the bottom line is the gospel is the answer. The bottom line for the children of Israel, what did they need? They needed God in their lives, didn't they? So let's talk for a minute or two about the fate of that nation. I said that they went into Assyrian captivity. Now, the consequences of what they had done, they paid a heavy price for it. Hosea said in chapter 8, verse 7, he said, they have sown to the wind, and he said, they'll reap the whirlwind. The bottom line is, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. In chapter 10, verse 13, he said, they've sown wickedness. They will reap iniquity. Paul said it like this, Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow bad seed, you're going to reap a bad harvest. Children of Israel sowed bad seed for a long time. They paid a heavy price, didn't they? So you look at, our, you look at, you look at nations today, you look at people today. And there are a lot of folks that they look around in the world today, they look around in our nation, they say, you know what, there's no way it could have ever been any worse than what we're facing today. You remember in the first century when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul said that prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks are to be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority. Why? That we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Who was on the throne in Rome when Paul wrote that letter? Nero was, wasn't he? We're talking about 
a very wicked man. The Roman Empire. There were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. The plight of women was deplorable. And yet the remedy for them is the remedy for us today, no matter what the nation. The remedy is the gospel of Christ. A little bit later in history when John wrote the Revelation, John is writing in the 90s. And John had this to say to the children of God in the first century. He said that Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. The bottom line is there's somebody higher than the one who's sitting upon the throne in whatever nation it might be. There's somebody higher than the president. There's somebody higher than a king. There's somebody higher than a queen. The Lord is His name. So to remember that God is in control. Now individually, do we reap what we've sown? Yes, sir. We reap what we sow. And we can pay a heavy price for it. But I want to ask you this. What's the remedy? What was the cure in the days of Hosea? Was there a cure? Turn over, if you would, to chapter 14 for a minute. And listen to what the prophet said over in chapter 14, verse 1. First and foremost, I would submit to you, there needs to be humility. Humility to recognize that as people, we don't have all the answers. That as people, we need the Lord. So there has to be humility coupled with repentance. And the idea is we acknowledge the fact that we need God in our lives. So the prophet said, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all our iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Then in verse 4, God said, I'll heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Let me tell you what, we need a dose today of humility, penitent hearts. Is God interested in people? Yes, He is. You remember Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Didn't Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 3, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God wants all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. The bottom line is God is interested in people. He's interested in the hearts and lives of people. And so, humility, a recognition that there's a God in heaven who will abundantly forgive. And then drop down and look at verse 9 if you would. In verse 9, listen to what the prophet said. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. Now, listen to this. For the ways of the Lord are right. Did you hear that? The ways of the Lord are right. God's ways are right. The children of Israel, they had gotten so far off track, evidenced by how they were living. And what God through the prophet was saying is, you need to understand God's ways are right. Is that, what, is that not what we need today? To understand that God's ways, God's will, God's word is right? That it is right for us? Sure it is. 
What about the future? I don't know what the future holds. But I'm here to tell you today, I'm not worried. And the reason is because I know God's in control. Still on His throne, still reigning and ruling. And so with that, we go forward. Now, to our nation, to people who live in this nation, I would say that as Christians, we've got to do our best to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We need to be light bearers in a lost and dying world. To understand, as Jesus said, lights come into the world, men love darkness rather than light. To understand that the gospel is the answer to the hearts and lives of people. If we can get people right with God, we can change the landscape of any nation, no matter where we live. Whether it's America, whether it is in Europe, whether it's in Asia, doesn't matter, does it? If we will be submissive to the Word of God to understand, as Hosea said in the long ago, the ways of the Lord are right. God's ways are right. And the real question of the hour is this. Are we willing to acknowledge God's ways are right, and then are we willing to do what's right? The gospel is God's system of making people right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all the blessings and favors that we enjoy in this life. We thank you for your love and grace and mercy. We thank you for your word, and we pray that we would live in accordance with your word. And Father, we pray for the hearts and lives of people, not just in America, but all over the world. And Father, we pray that we would recognize the great blessings that come from honoring your word and living in accordance with what you have written. And Father, we pray for those who are lost and dying in sin. Help us to be a light in this world. Help us to be an influence for good in their lives. And Father, we pray that we might lift high your word in a lost and dying world. We pray that you'd bless us and be with us and help us to be all that we can be so that we might bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. I mentioned that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's interested in people being saved. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, our plea to you is to come to Christ, to understand that Jesus paid the ultimate price for your sins. Jesus went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died so that you and I might have the hope of life eternal. What would you need to do? Well, do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized in the name of Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, remitted, forgiven. That's what Peter said, Acts 2, verse 38. Let God put you in the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And then be faithful until death. The promise being crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here today, let's just say as a child of God, for whatever reason, you're not where you ought to be. Could we encourage you to come back? Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon? Look, God is in the forgiving business. John said in the long ago, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God still loves you. God still cares about you. God wants you to be saved. If we can encourage you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.